John waited until his later years, probably to the age somewhere between 90 and 95 years old, to write this gospel. And I don't know if he spent all of that time thinking and pondering and praying about how to present it, but it starts off so different from the other gospels. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And he goes on down in the 14th verse to tell us, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The situation here in John chapter 5 is very interesting. The people are trying to kill the Lord Jesus. Uh, he healed a man on the Sabbath, and so it says in verse 16, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. You see, they took the original commandment to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy and they turned it into a burdensome requirement. They came up with so many things that you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath that you had to have a thick catalog of all of the rules and regulations just for the Sabbath. If a chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath, you couldn't eat that egg because the chicken had to work. All these rules and regulations and you'll notice as you read through the Gospels that Jesus seems to take particular delight in violating the Sabbath according to their rules. And so that's what he did. He healed a man on the Sabbath. And uh, the reason they believe this about the Sabbath is because we read about, G about uh, God creating the heavens and the earth and he did it in how many days? Six days. And on the seventh day he did what? He rested. Well, let me tell you how the Jews saw this. They saw this, that God did six days of creation. On the seventh day, he rested, and he's been in a recliner ever since. He's still resting. And the reason that we keep the Sabbath is because we're commemorating the fact that he's up there sitting in his recliner. And so Jesus disabuses them of this false theological idea they have because he says in verse 17, Jesus answered them and said, my father has been working up until now and I have been working. You know what that says to me? That says that in six days, God created the heavens, the earth created man, put him here on this planet. Rest of the seventh day, what did he do the eighth day? He began the work of a new creation. He began working for the redemption of the human race. And Jesus said, my father is working and I am working. We're working together. Now get this, verse 18, therefore the Jews sought to kill him all the more. I mean, when you want to kill someone, when you're so absolutely enraged at someone, you want to kill them, but then you want to kill them even more. You know, it's kind of like, I'd like to stab this guy. Now I want to stab him 20 times, right? They're really mad now. Because not only did he break the Sabbath, but also he said that God was his father. You might want to underline this, making himself equal with God. 
I love it when I run into all of these college-educated people that say, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. He claimed it in so many ways that you can't even write them all down on a page. But here he's saying, I am equal with God. By the way, they crucified him because he made himself equal with God. Uh, if you want, you can go to John 10, verse 30 to 38. Not now, but later on you'll find again they're trying to kill him because he makes himself equal to God. He's dealing here with a hostile audience. He's not dealing here with the woman at the well. He's not dealing even with a questioning theologian like we saw in Nicodemus. Here he's dealing with a very hostile audience. And therefore he's going to approach dealing with them in a different way. And you know what he's going to tell them? He's going to tell them something you and I need to include in the gospel. The bad news. You know, gospel means good news. Glad tidings. It's wonderful things that we have to tell, but when we tell the gospel, we should always include the bad news, and there's a reason for that. Some people will never take the good news till they've heard the bad news. You know what the bad news is? Without Christ, we are lost and doomed to hell, eternally separated from God. And so Jesus gets into that as they discuss back and forth, but in verse 24, Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, by the way, every time you read verily, verily from the lips of Jesus, he is speaking as God. This is another one of those places. When he says, I say to you, no rabbi would ever say that. That would have been absolutely verboten because you would be taking on the prerogative of God himself. Jesus here says, most assuredly, I say to you because he is the author of all scripture. He is the living word. He is the one from whom the written word came. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, I want you to notice the tense, has everlasting life. You say, what's the difference in believing in the Father and believing in the Son? It's the same thing. You can't believe in the Son if you don't believe in the Father. You can't believe in the Father if you don't believe in the Son. So he who believes has... By the way, have you noticed something interesting? There has never been a single qualification in any of the texts we've looked at for a person to enter eternal life than what? Believe. That's the key. That's what John hammers all the way through the book 98 times. But notice he says, has passed from death into life. I love Colossians 1.13. It tells us that God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of light. And it says that he has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. It's done, finished, and accomplished. Shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, why does he introduce this? Because he wants this hostile audience to understand the choice they're making. They're making a choice of condemnation. And as I said last night, God doesn't send people to hell. He lets people choose, choose to go there. It is a self-condemnation because he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He has chosen that condemnation.
for himself. And notice he goes on in verse 25 saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. But there are two categories. He says, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment. He's hammering this point. He wants this hostile audience to get it. I am the one that will execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Why? Because as the Son of Man, what did he do? He bore the judgment. He bore the penalty. Have you ever stopped and just contemplated the wonder of the fact that every sin you've ever committed, you don't even know them all, you can't even remember them all, from the time you entered into this world until the time you exit this world, when the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross and God the Father turned away from Him and darkness shrouded that area of the Middle East, He was paying for your sin and paying for my sin. And not for ours only, John tells us in 1 John 2, 2, but for the sins of the entire world. Do you realize that Jesus in his omniscience as he hung on the cross, when your sins hit him, when the shame of those sins hit him, when the condemnation of those sins hit him, he had you personally in mind. And he paid the penalty in full. So what can be done to a person who rejects such love and such compassion and such deliverance? They have to pay the penalty that they've chosen.